Hello and welcome. I am Michele Matarazzo and this is the MDS podcast, the podcast channel of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society. I am very happy to announce that we are going to start a new series of podcasts in collaboration with the MDS Community Conversations, which will bring up very important and relevant issues, especially related with the COVID-19 situation and the way it is affecting most of us in the movement disorders field, both from a clinical and a research perspective. For this first issue, we will listen to an interview of Dr. Sarah Walsham Helgren to the editor of the Movement Disorders Journal, Dr. John Stossel, about the role of preprints in science and how the COVID is changing the way we consume science-related contents online. Hello, and welcome to this edition to MDS Community Conversations. We are so excited to be collaborating with the MDS podcast team to bring you this interview. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Wallstrom Helgren, and I have the pleasure of interviewing our Movement Disorders Journal editor, Dr. John Stossel. Today, we will be chatting about the hot topic of preprints in the COVID era. How are you today, Dr. Stossel? Very well, thanks, and uh, glad to be talking about this topic. All right, well, then let's dive right in. For those who don't know yet, what are preprints and where did they come from? So preprints actually have quite a long history going back, I think, 50 years or more, but they've really become uh, much more popular in the last three years or so. So these are basically publications that have not yet undergone peer review or editorial review that have not been published, but they're typically uploaded to a preprint server so that they can be available for the scientific community or the general community to read. So you mentioned that they haven't gone under any peer review or editorial review. Does anyone besides the author read it before it's on the server? Not that I'm aware of, although I have not actually been involved uh, in the process from that uh, side of things. I think I've been an author on papers that have been uploaded to uh, preprint servers, and I certainly look at papers that appear on preprint servers, but to my knowledge, nobody besides the author has responsibility for checking the content. So you mentioned that these have been around for a while. I think the joke when I was in graduate school was that preprints came from physics. Um, was what we used to always say. I don't know if that's actually accurate. Why do you think preprints have become more popular? So I think I'll, I'll come back to that, but I think you're right that probably it came from physics and math. And I believe that there are papers in the field of mathematics that have only ever appeared on preprint servers. But actually, I think that in the past, preprints were used in, in perhaps a slightly different meaning that you could um, attach preprints to grant applications. And so there is a history that goes back before the modern day era. I think what's happened more recently is that in general in the publishing world, there has been a demand for more rapid dissemination of information. The scientific community wants this, the authors want it, and I think the general public does as well. And so that has spawned a, a massive growth in the last three years or so and a very different attitude towards the uh, use of this venue. Can preprints be cited in a paper? You mentioned in a grant, but what about in a paper or in another journal? Yes, absolutely, they can be. Typically, we cite papers, uh, you know, each journal has its own format. But these days, 
published papers have a digital object identifier or DOI number. And the difference is that papers that appear on a preprint server, the DOI has a somewhat different format. Most DOIs somehow incorporate the name of the journal. So that means from a practical perspective that if you're using automatic um, reference software to prepare your references, that you won't be able to automatically download the preprint citation as easily as you can for a published paper because it won't appear when you enter the DOI. And preprint papers, to my knowledge, do not have a PubMed ID number. So there are some differences, but there's no reason that you cannot cite them. And indeed, we see this happening increasingly. What about citing a paper in a news article? I don't see any reason that that could not be done. And in fact, I'm not sure that the recent news articles have uh, cited according to the preprint server format. But certainly, as we know, in the last few months, there have been a lot of papers that have appeared in preprint form that have been picked up by the media. So that actually leads me right to my next question, since we're kind of thinking about how preprints have been different in the COVID age or the COVID era, as it is now being referred to. So prior to this, did preprints normally get media attention? I'm not sure I can totally answer that question, but I suspect nowhere near the same extent as, as right now. Now, the history of wanting more rapid dissemination of information is, is of course, not limited to, to COVID. And if you think back in relatively recent years, uh, the one of the major precipitants for this was HIV-AIDS, where there was a strong public demand for early dissemination of information. But we've seen a huge uptake in the COVID age. And this means, unfortunately, that sometimes material is picked up by the media probably before it's fully ready for public consumption. Yeah. So that kind of leads into the next question I had was about the public perception of science and scientists and how that's really important here. And when a story that isn't quite ready for public consumption gets out into the public. How does that impact science that is done at the highest level of rigor? Well, I think it is one of the potential negative impacts of having rapid dissemination. It's in general historically been the reason that journals have not published material until it has been subject to rigorous peer review. So you're constantly walking a fine balance between ensuring that the material that is disseminated has undergone that kind of rigorous review versus understanding that we do in fact require rapid dissemination. And sometimes that need is critical. So one of the other things I wanted to ask about was that preprint journals are often free and publicly available. Do you think this access is part of what contributes to what media outlets pick up? I'm not sure that it's the cost per se, although obviously, in general, this means that the material is more accessible. There is, of course, a growing move in the publication world in general for increasingly open access. And so that's true for even journals that do have a rigorous peer review process in place, they may still have 
varying levels of open access. This has become an important political issue. There's been a strong move, particularly in Europe, but also in North America, for for papers to be made openly available. But this comes with various costs, some of which are financial, because there is a, obviously a financial cost associated with publishing. But I think the real cost is, you know, related to the level of review. Science, I would say historically scientists are by nature, most scientists tend to be cautious people who want to give careful consideration before they take their findings and interpretations out to a broader community. But the scientific community faces pressures as well. Those pressures may be in the form of need for promotion, wanting to receive grant support. And so there's always been a pressure on scientists as well to try and get maximal visibility for their findings. And of course, if you have something that you're really excited about, naturally you want to uh, get it out there. That has historically been much more balanced, I would say, by the peer review process which also has its uh, negative side. But the reality is that this world has been shifting very quickly. And we've just seen a very extreme example of it because of COVID. But there has in general been an increasing and rapidly growing demand for, for earlier dissemination. Do you think this is good for science as a whole? Dissemination is a good thing if the if the results are real. And there is the downside of, of the peer review process that people have been aware of for many years is that sometimes papers can be held up for months. I think in general, there is a push, there's a pressure to have more rapid peer review. And most journals, I think, try to live up to that pressure, but it is challenging. In the past, there would be papers that would spend several months in peer review. And then, of course, the argument is this could be potentially very useful information and it's being held back. It's never seeing the light of day. Or a paper might even potentially be rejected after several months. So that's something you want to minimize. But at the same time, even with the best of intentions, people may have overlooked something in their data. And when you're the one generating the data, it's much less likely that you're going to have an entirely objective view of it. So there may be an important control condition that's been left out. You may have even overlooked prior literature on the topic. So we need peer review to ensure that uh, things are done in a methodologically robust fashion, that people have considered alternative interpretations of the data, and that they also place the new information in the appropriate context of prior existing literature. Yeah, I can say from personal experience that my papers always significantly improve after a few rounds of peer review. I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, because, you know, uh, journal editors are often probably accused of being negative people. But I think in most cases, uh, even when you accept a paper, you want to ensure that you're 
allowing the authors to do the best possible job. And it's actually quite common that authors will write back and express gratitude for the effort and suggestions that reviewers and editors have made to overall strengthen the quality of the paper. Absolutely. I absolutely agree that you can you get that so much stronger of a paper after it's been through that process. Okay, so now I want you to think a little bit big picture for me. And I want to ask if you could start from scratch, what would be your vision of the ideal publication process? <sighs> well, we try to, <laughs> to meet that as best we can. So uh, the First of all, the, the issue is what's the ideal publication? And it's something that is novel, that will change the way that people view a particular problem, that brings important new information, and that is done in a robust fashion. And of course, you know, you would like it to be clearly written, etc., so that it can be readily communicated. In terms of process, you want the submission process and the review process to be relatively painless for the authors. That's actually becoming increasingly challenging for a variety of reasons. And you want the review process to be efficient but thorough. And that has also become challenging because the sheer number of papers that are submitted certainly to our journal, but I think in general, is forever increasing, which means that uh, there's, there's simply a, a volume that has to be managed, and that takes time. And it's also, I think, increasingly challenging to find reviewers, because reviewers, in addition to their regular full-time jobs, are facing increasing demands to review manuscripts and grants, and there's a limit to what anybody can do. So, and obviously it goes without saying that you want the review process to be fair and constructive, that the decision will be made similarly in an efficient and fair manner. Yeah, absolutely. Now I have to pivot a little bit to the MDS journals. Do you think the presence of preprints changes anything for the MDS journals? I'm not really sure that it does. I think the reality is that the world has been moving in this direction. So I guess the question is whether you choose to put a blindfold on and lie down on the tracks or whether you simply accept that there's a process that is happening in the world around you and that you do your best to embrace it and live with it. I would say the change is there is a relatively minor structural change which is that in the past, uh, the guidelines have not been explicit about permitting uh, preprint uh, server submission. In other words, the, the journals will consider material that has already been posted on a preprint server. Those guidelines are in the process of being updated, but in the past, decisions were made on a case-by-case -case basis, whereas I think what we're seeing now as reflective of the reality around us is that this is simply going to be allowed. Now, there are limits so that the journal is, is published, the publisher is Wiley, and they have a policy which is that journals will accept articles that have 
been previously published on preprint servers, um, and will consider for review articles that have been available as preprints. However, there is an expectation that once a paper has gone through the various revisions and is accepted for publication, that the preprint server is updated with a link to the final published article. So I mentioned before that the DOI on the preprint server has a somewhat different format, but when you go to the preprint server to look for the article, there should be a statement saying this paper has now been published in final form at such and such a location, and that should have the updated link. So that means that the published article does not appear free of charge on the preprint server. It's only the original version. Ah, that's an important key point. Yeah. And so authors are not allowed to put the accepted version of a paper on the preprint server. They can post the original submission, but once it's gone through all the changes, that becomes the property of the journal. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Stossel. Your insights are so much appreciated by our community. Oh, pleasure. You have listened to the MDS Community Conversations on the MDS Podcast. If you are interested in movement disorders, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and thank you for listening.